Morning. morning. Welcome to worship. As we were singing that uh, song, My Eyes Are Dry, it made me think that we really should be so happy we'd have tears of happiness to be able to worship today in freedom and in truth and in the spirit of the Holy of our God that we serve. want to welcome each of you for, to worship today. We welcome you visitors and the, all the regulars who are come here to worship our God and serve him as our king. I got a couple questions for us today, maybe more than two, maybe, maybe several. The first question I have is, what are the two most important days in a person's life? Think about that a little bit. There's probably going to be multiple answers. I have a couple that I'm going to use. So let's think about what are the two most important days in a person's life. Another question is, how do we view the church today? Does it mean the same today as it did when we first accepted Jesus as our Lord? Has our perspective changed? Do we live for Jesus or do we live to please ourselves? How much influence 
does the world have on us today as a church, as a body of believers, as individuals, as Christians? I think these are some serious questions that we need to, we need to think about and look at as we walk in today's world. So I see the world invading our lives and churches very subtly more and more as time goes on. It's just slowly creeping in on us, the acculturation by the world, what we do, what we think, how we believe, uh, our, our morals. Is it no longer necessary to strictly uphold godly principles? Is that what the world's teaching us? Is it okay to let some things slip just because it's easier? After all, everyone else is doing it. Why should we worry about it? There's a long list of things that, that we could go into is, is what I think has happened in our church just today, in our Christian lives today, as we come and worship together. Have we left our first love? Do we still feel the passion and love for the Lord Jesus as we did when we first accepted him as our savior? I feel like that it's very important to witness to the world and to those about us and that our witness needs to be strong and our witness needs to be bold. We should not shy away from, from uh, living the life of the gospel. There's one, there was a man one time that, that closely watched his neighbor go about his daily occupation. One day he approached the neighbor and told him what his observation had been over the years. He told him this. He said that he told his friends that he had never seen his neighbor's tractor, combine, planter, truck, whatever it was, ever move on any given Sunday. Now this isn't about Sunday work, it's just, a, just an illustration. The neighbor kind of shook his head in unbelief that he had been watched that closely. To the man that was watching, that was a good testimony as to where his neighbor's heart really was. Do we give the testimony to those about us, our neighbors, our friends, even our church family, where our heart really is? Are we willing to do that? I really believe that Satan is working overtime to convince us of living more like the world every day. That's his goal. He does not like Christian people to serve God. Can those that we work with, live close to, and even worship, worship with see that Jesus is first in my life and in my heart? Can they see that I truly love him? Do I reverence him enough to realize, to show that the first thought I have is about what he has done for me? So what are the two most important days in our life? Number one, the day we are born. We have no control over this. This is, this is nothing we can do anything about. The second one, the second day is the day that we find out why we were born. That little term right there encompasses all the rest of the answers that we might have about what an important day in our life might have been. What this does, it, involve, it involves the choices that we make. Are we being diligent? To be a good witness? 
Do we truly believe and love Jesus? that Jesus is first in my, in my life even before work and family so our lives and our actions will manifest where our hearts and passions are they will show up even if we don't think they will our neighbors will see our friends will see our church family will see where our hearts are as we think about choices uh, and, and what we, how we might have done wrong or could have done better or what we should do or, or what the, the answer may be. I, th I thought of a John the Revelator as he's quoting Jesus' words when he's talking to the seven churches uh, there in Revelation. All these churches, was said, had good points but somehow, there was something wrong with, with a lot of them. And, and things had gone wrong. So, I'll go through the, uh, uh, seven of these things. In Revelations 2 and 7, it says, Remember that this is about us, and this is what our reward will be. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life. Now, these are blessings that God is going to bless us with also. In 2.11, Revelation 2.11, he that overcometh shall not feel the hurt of the second death. We, we escape that. In the 17th verse in the second chapter, it says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, the manna that sustains our life. In the 26th verse, it says, He that overcomes and keeps my word, he's going to give power over the nations. Going into the third chapter of Revelation, the fifth verse, he says, He that overcometh will be clothed in white raiment, and his name shall not be blotted out of the book of life. We want to be sure our name is there to start with, and he that overcomes, he'll stay there. In verse 12 in chapter 3, it says, He that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and I will give him a new name. Aren't we looking forward to that? new name that we get in heaven, new body. And the 21st verse is the cap sheaf of the whole thing. He says that to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. What a blessing. So when we think about the sacrifices that Jesus made, can't we honor him in obedience to his will? Can't we sacrifice a little on our, on, on our part when he sacrificed his life, shed his blood, that we might have what we have today? Isn't it a blessing that we have had the privilege to, most of us, been raised in a, an environment that teaches us the importance of living for Jesus? With that, I think we'll take prayer requests for today or praise reports. Cephas, I think I'm going to ask you to pray. So, do we have prayer requests or praise reports? leadership team they're in training this weekend anyone else let's pray Cephas as well for you 
No matter what you got to tell us, but we know you have the word of the of life. You're the true and living God. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know our future, and we don't know it. And our future is in your hand. We thank you today for the best day, oh God, the first day of the, of the week. And in the morning, we are, we are praying right now. Father God, we thank you for, oh God, all that you have done for us for saving our soul on the Calvary. For the blood that was shed on the Calvary. The blood of Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, who died on the cross to wash away our sins. Some think that the blood of whom, the blood of those who have done that. Nobody was qualified to pay this price.
number of years ago, I was sent a paper. And this paper was an outline of a new group of Christian people that were forming a congregation. And it was the outline of what they believed. It was probably 80-90% scripture with a little bit of commentary. And they sent it to me and they said, we'd like you to read this and see if you think we are scriptural in your mind. So I read it and studied it and looked up some things and I sent back and I said, as far as I would understand, everything you have here is sound doctrine. But I have a question for you. What happens when there's a generation or a group or leaders or someone that raises up and they do not believe what is in this paper? What happens then? And the answer came back to me and they said, then we trust the Lord. We'll make sure that this fellowship fails. Brother Mike asked the question, the second question, how do you view the church? Do you know it would be better that this congregation, Cornerstone, would fail than it would stand here with a skeleton of religion and deceive people? I invite you to turn your Bibles to the second chapter of the book of Revelation. We want to welcome everyone. We're glad you're here. We're going to be a little bit blunt this morning, and we're pri primarily going to be speaking to Cornerstone. I see we have a number of visitors, and I would trust that as you listen this morning, wherever you normally worship or wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, you'll make application according to yourself, and we encourage you to do that. I want to begin with the church at Ephesus. In fact, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. We're going to talk about this church at Ephesus. But I'm going to tell you that the church of Ephesus is also the church at Cornerstone. Um, that may sound a bit arrogant. I, I trust it isn't, and I'll try to explain that as we go. Let's just begin reading in this second chapter of Revelation at the first verse. Unto the angel or the messenger of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I, I would understand that is the Lord. And these seven golden candlesticks are seven churches. And this is what he says to the church at Ephesus. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. I want to stop there just for a little bit. In theological terms, we would say that this is a church that had correct orthodoxy, or teaching. And we would look at this church, and I'm sure we're going to see that it is a very, very good church. You will notice the things that the Lord says to them. He said they labor, they are involved in the Lord's work. And they have patience or endurance. They do the Lord's work even when they get tired and when it's hard. They're right there. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. When evil began to come against them, they, it was dealt with according to the word of God and by the spirit of God. This is a good church. And has tried them which say they are apostles and are not, has found them liars. There was a point when people came amongst them and they claimed a certain amount of authority, apparently. And they looked at them by the spirit of God and by the word of God and they say, no, that is incorrect. This is a strong church. I told you I was going to be blunt this morning. One of the comments we hear as we get about is that Cornerstone is a good church. They mean well. I thank them and tell them if it, that is accurate, it is only by the grace of God. 
I want this to be an excellent church. I want it to be a godly church. I want it to be a church that people know that if their children or their grandchildren or their friends or whatever attend there, they rejoice that they are here. I like to think that when I look among the congregation that's here, I see people that are reaching out, some of you in local communities, some of them across the water. There's all kinds of outreach that comes from this little place. Praise the Lord. That's a good thing. If we're not careful, though, and we're going to see in a little bit, all it becomes is correct orthodoxy. It's just religion, even though it's Christian religion. And Mike already told us what the difference was. We're going to get to it a little bit. But it would be better, though we were doing all the works and all the missions and everything else, and it's just because of the order and the tradition that's here that we continue to carry it on and we miss the foundation that we need to have. It would be better that Cornerstone would die. Do you know that of the seven churches of Asia that Jesus said he walked among them and the churches were there because of him and his spirit, not a one of them exists today. In fact, we're talking about Ephesus and not only is the church not in Ephesus, the city itself is in ruins. Do you think it could happen here? Are we better than they? God forbid that we would think like that. Let's read on. Third verse, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and hast not fainted. So they carried the weight. I don't know, the persecution was going to come, we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. The persecution had already come, probably through Nero, and there had been all kinds of pressures, and they stood there right there at church service, and they never wavered. They were still faithful to what they were supposed to do before the Lord, and God is commending them for that. But I want us to see, I want us to see the fourth verse. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. This was uh, a lot of times when we think about a church succeeding or failing, we tend to put it on the leadership. And I think that's, that's fair. Anyone that's in leadership, that should make us tremble. But I think there's a strong element of truth that's there. I, I have a friend, well, you all know him, Brother Jason. And I asked him, I said, Jason, you get into all kinds of churches. You go all kinds of places. And I, 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 some churches are growing. And he said, in my mind, some of them even aren't even really the best doctrine. But they're growing. And I said, what's the difference in leadership? And so when I look at this church at Ephesus, I thought, I want to know what the leadership was like. You know who the leadership was? Well, it was the Apostle Paul. And then after that, it was Timothy. Apostle Paul was there about three years. Now, Timothy there was one to two years. And then there was a man by the name of Tychius. And you will find him in the scripture, and he's always in glowing terms. And the fourth leader that we know that was there was the Apostle John. So of the first four leaders that we know about, two of them were apostles, chosen of the Lord. Has anyone got better leadership than that? That's as good as it comes. And yet, and yet, 30 years after Paul wrote to Timothy at Ephesus, we come to the book of Revelation and he says, you left your first love. What's that look like? I want to remind you, I believe it can happen right here, right now. And the last thing I want 
is that the love for the Lord would depart from this place and we'd keep all the form and all the orthodoxy and we would look so good and we'd go, oh, that's a good church. And inside we would die. Can it happen? Yes. I believe by the examples in the scripture, it can happen. So the church at Ephesus, they knew God's plan. They believed God's plan. They lived God's plan. They had correct orthodoxy. But the intimate passion for the heart of Christ had died. One of, the, one of the things we see in our society today, and people like us, we tend to lay this on other churches. We say, well, they're not really living obedient to the scriptures. Sometimes that's true. And yet, when I read this verse, I see this is a church that was living completely obedient to the scriptures. And Jesus said, I'm going to remove the candlestick from you if you don't return to your first love. I wonder if it's possible for those of us who live correct orthodoxy that we forget the love for the Lord. And I'll tell you what happens if we lose the love for the Lord. We'll lose our love for one another. There's no doubt in my mind. Our love for one another isn't because we're perfect people. It's because we know that the Lord has loved us. So let's read on here just for a little bit. The sixth verse, but thou hast, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I find it interesting that he put this in here. After he had commended them and they told him what's wrong, and he comes back and commends them another thing. So the Nicolaitans, what are they? Well, it's interesting because it doesn't seem real clear, but there's two things that seems to emerge when you look up Nicolaitans. One of them is that in some form or another, they at least compromised morality, immorality or morality, however you want to put it. They were not pure. Um, and the other one was that it seemed like they put a strong emphasis on, um, I want to say pleasure, that's probably not quite the right word, but if, if you are in the Lord, you're going to be blessed materially and pleasurely and so forth. And the Lord come along and he said, I know that you teach that that is wrong, and I, I agree with that. So they had this moral standard that they lived. Seventh verse, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And you'll notice that's plural. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I don't know if we will get to all of that. So the Apostle Paul, he writes the letters, the, Apostle, uh, the um, Pauline letters, and two of them are 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. They are interesting letters. In 1 Timothy, Timothy was at, was at Ephesus, the church we're talking about this morning. And we're going to look in this first chapter of 1 Timothy in a little bit. We're going to spend some time there. The second Timothy is even interesting in another way. I'm just gonna, this is just kind of a bunny trail. I want to encourage you. Do you, you ever think about, well, the day I die, the day I wonder what is really important to me. This is it. My life's over. My earthly journey is over. And this is what counts. And I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to know how to think then. Read second Timothy. He is in a prison. In first Timothy, he is in prison, but he expects to get out, and he does. In 2 Timothy, he's in prison and he knows he's not going to get out. It's over. In fact, he pleads for Timothy to come see him. And we don't even know by history or by scripture whether or not that actually happened. But it was like five, six, seven years later after 1 Timothy, he wrote 2 Timothy. And he knows he's going to die because Nero has come on the scene and he's killing the Christians. And so he knows he's going to die and he writes this letter. You want to know what a, what a godly man writes about when he knows it's all over? Read 2 Timothy, and it'll tell us. I'm not going to spend any more time there this morning. I invite you to turn your Bibles now to 1 Timothy. And the apostle is writing to Timothy because he is in Ephesus. 
And we're going to look this morning to see if we can see any indicators that Paul wrote to Timothy about Ephesus, because this is the church, remember, 30 years later, God is going to say, the Holy Spirit's going to say, you left your first love. Well, that means that when Paul wrote to, to Timothy at Ephesus, 1 Timothy, the Holy Spirit knew what the church at Ephesus was going to do. I don't know if Paul did or not. He was writing under the influence of the Spirit, but the Spirit knew. So we're going to look at some things this morning and see what happens to this good church that loses its first love. We invite you to turn your Bibles there. We're going to spend the rest of the time, or most of it at least, in 1 Timothy. And we'll begin to third verse. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, he's writing to Timothy, and I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather now the godly edifying which is in faith, so do. I want to, I want to stop there just a little bit. It is possible after a congregation starts, and we have seen it, you have seen it, Congregation starts with a, with a really good purpose and direction. And pretty soon they develop a tradition. They develop a pattern. They develop a way of doing things. And it's not that it's all bad, but pretty soon that way of doing things begins to pre preeminate over love for the Lord and obedience to him. And our traditions begin to control and the Apostle Paul must have looked at that church at Ephesus and he saw that potential there. You think that potential is among us? I'm going to tell you, I, one reason I know it's among us is because it's in my own heart. Every now and then I say, we're not going to do it that way anymore. We're going to change it. And I say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We're not going to do that. We don't want to change that. We did that for a good purpose. And I can tell you what the purpose is. The truth of the matter is, if we're not careful, we begin to bicker over things that will not draw us to the Lord. It is so easy to do. God help us to have discernment in this area. Let's read on. Uh, fifth verse. For the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside into vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor what they affirm. You know what happens when we do that? When we begin to let our own system, our own traditions, whatever it is, take preeminence, pretty soon we are squabbling about everything. Have you ever noticed that? And again, I'm going to tell you, I see it in my own heart. And we get to focus off of the Lord that died on the cross for us. To me, this is, we have seen this in our life, and we are foolish if we think we're better than Ephesus. God help us. I want to, I need to keep moving. Let's move on to the 12th verse. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious by obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly, ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Albeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. I see two things here I want out of this, and I know there's a lot more. You notice that the apostle had a teachable spirit. When he was confronted with truth, he turned around and went the other way. I'd like to ask you something. If our love for the Lord is where it should be, won't we always have a hunger for the truth? 
Lord, teach me. I trust that's why you're here today. You want the Holy Spirit to teach you. You want to understand something out of the Word of God you've never had. You need some food. You need some substantive for to help us through today. And the second thing that we find in this verse is there is, and I've talked about this before, I know that, but even the Apostle Paul says he is continually looking for that truth, and that truth will lead me to repentance. Whoa, I've got to change what I've been doing. I have to think different. We heard it this morning in Sunday school, very clear message. How we think controls become what we do, what we say, who we are. Is there a teachable spirit that will repent? And it does not stop with age or the time that we've been with the Lord. How bad, how bad we need that. So we lose our first love when we refuse to do that. Let's go on down to uh, the 18th verse. I want to read it. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Do you know there's something else that happens when we love the Lord? We can read the Old Testament. The Old Testament, that's what he's saying here, the old prophecies. We can read them and we see Jesus. And we see Jesus impacting our lives even before the New Testament happened and was written. You have a prophecy this morning? I'm, I'm telling you, when we read the Old Testament, we, and it's great. Those little children, they start out, and, and we had a question here the other day at our meal. Our family's all together. What's your favorite? And one of the children said, well, he liked the story of David and Goliath. Well, we all do. You know what? Those Old Testament messages have an impact on us today. They will change our lives, and they are eternal. And they are marks of eternal of love for the love of God. Let's go on the 19th verse. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Um, it is so important that we still have that love for our Lord, that we believe all the things of God and it affects our life. These verses are so simple and yet they are so so very, very powerful. 20th verse is a hard one. I want you to look at this one. Church, today I want you to look at verse 20 with me. I think it's hard. Maybe you don't. But as, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. You know what the church doesn't do today? We don't issue discipline, even hard discipline. You know why? Just going down the road. Go to another church. It's wrong. It really is. And you'll notice this discipline is unto repentance. The love of God is still here. It is not harsh discipline unto means. Not at all. It is strong discipline. That's probably a better word than harsh. It is a strong discipline. So that that person will repent continually and the love of God will get a hold of them. Now, if you remember, we started out this morning and we said um, in Revelation, it said to return to your first love. I want you to think about that first love just a little bit. Well, before we go there, let's, let's turn to uh, Jeremiah 2.2. 2. I, I, there's one verse I want. I, I, I love this verse. The second chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Second verse. Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not shown. Do you know that when we come by faith to the Lord, and that first love is there, and we are amazed that he loved us, he says, I remember that. This is God speaking. Do you think God remembers 
how you and I were when we came and we saw what a mess we were and we were bound for hell and we deserved it and we cannot believe what he's done for us on the cross and we come, God remembers that. And he says, return to that, come back to that. I love you. Um, when I read this verse, it says, um, remember the kindness of the youth. Okay, Let, let's just talk about the courtship a little bit. You know what that's like. That was exciting. You would, uh, if you was a young man probably, you'd pick up your, your lady. And you both were so kind to each other. It was so much fun. And you were good to each other. Maybe you bought her a box of candy. I don't know what you did. And God says, I remember that. I want you to come to me when we had those fun and intimate and initial talks and you come broken and you loved me and you didn't do anything but say kind things about me. And I'll tell you what, we get away from that. We not only won't say kind things about the Lord, we won't say kind things about each other either. One of the signs that our love is gone is that we utter all kinds of negatives about everybody else. And I've really appreciated Brother Ken the study this morning on that. Where our mind is. Then it says, And the, the love of thine espousals when thou went after me in the wilderness. Did you pursue your mate? <laughs> you did. Oh, Yeah. Right, the guys are supposed to pursue and the women aren't, right? That's a bunch of baloney. <laughs> I've told this story before, but I very well remember. Well, I lived in California, but after Carver Road, 3724 Carver Road had, had the mailbox out front. And we were 20, over 2,000 miles apart, Mary Ellen and I. And I'd open that mailbox and she had soaked the letter in so much perfume that the whole mailbox reeked when I opened it. <laughs> she was pursuing me. It's pretty neat. You ladies know how to pursue. You do. And God says, I remember when you pursued me. I wonder, is our love fresh and fire? Do we pursue the Lord? Do we do it with kindness? towards all because of what he's done. And it says, you pursued after me in the wilderness. <laughs> Everything else was briars and thistles compared to being with my mate. I don't want the Lord to remove the candlestick from me, from you, from your family, from this congregation, from the congregations where you worship. There's, a, there's I, I do want to go back to 1 Timothy, one more verse, and we will just, we'll close. And I'm being just a little bit ornery, I guess, with this one. Please have patience with me. Fourth chapter of 1 Timothy, third verse. We got... We talked about this uh, in our Sunday school. But in this third verse, he says, well, I'll start in a second. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Well, no, I want to back up first verse. Now, in this, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That sounds pretty wicked, doesn't it? That sounds pretty bad speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. There is always the danger. I don't know if this is what happened in Ephesus or not, but this is what the Spirit had Paul write to the elder at Ephesus, which was Timothy. I'm going to summarize this verse, and you can, you can meditate it. 
but there were some, whether they were in leadership or other, I have no idea, it doesn't say, but there were some apparently who claimed a higher level of Christianity by emphasizing certain spiritual works instead of obedience by the love of Christ. There's a huge flag that goes up when we start demanding of each other anything other than the love of Christ and his word and one another. Just a huge flag. I, uh, I think it'd probably be safe to say if the Lord tarries and he doesn't come pretty quick that there will come a time when Cornerstone will fail and it will need to fail. But the gospel will never fail. And the message that goes out will never fail. And the love of Christ will never, ever stop. As long as in the hearts of men and women, they realize what he has done for us on the cross. That's our goal here today. I don't want this to fail. I hope you understand that. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm, I'm not. In fact, just the opposite. I want us to be alive in the Lord. Every one of us. Because just because we go to a good church and just because the leadership is good and just because we do the right things, if we're not careful, it just becomes correct orthodoxy and the love of Christ is gone and the candlestick is removed. God forbid, God forbid that that would happen to any of us here this morning. Let's have a song.